0: The last time we finished up in Ezekiel the prophecies against Lebanon, Tyre, Sidon, and so forth. The next three chapters, we're going to turn to the prophecy against Egypt. And then we turn to the part of the book that most everybody reads Ezekiel 4, which are the prophecies concerning Israel. This is written after the Exodus. The Exodus would have happened somewhere in the vicinity of 1500 B.C., and this prophecy is written somewhere in the vicinity of 580. So you're talking uh, 700 years that have passed since the Exodus. And the only reason I mention that is because this prophecy is going to be against Egypt, and he's going to say a lot of things that are reminiscent in some ways of the Exodus. For example, one of his goals is so that Egypt will know that He is the Lord. Egypt got that message earlier on, and they apparently have forgotten it because He's going to remind them. The other thing is in the geopolitics of what's going on here, Israel got put under tribute by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. And the second set of prophecies here in Ezekiel, when they finally get sanded off, are going to be because of a rebellion of Israel against Babylon. In that rebellion, they went to Egypt and made an alliance with Egypt and sort of got assurances from Egypt that, yeah, you go get those Babylonians, we're right here with you. And they weren't. So one of the things that God is going to be annoyed with Egypt about is that they said that they would stand up with Israel, and when the time came, they didn't do it. So, 29, in the 10th year, in the 10th month, on the 12th day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams, that says, my Nile is my own, I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws. I will make the fish of your streams stick to your scales, and I will draw you up out of the midst of your streams with all the fish of your streams that stick to your scales. And I will cast you out into the wilderness. You and all the fish of your streams, you shall fall in the open field and not be brought together or gathered. To the beasts of the earth and to the birds of the heavens I will give you as food. When we went through the Exodus, one of the things that we talked about is the position of the Nile in Egypt. And if you look at a satellite map, it becomes very, very obvious. So the Nile is the thing that creates and sustains Egypt. No Nile, no Egypt. So Pharaoh, who is regarded as a god, and was regarded as a god at the time of the Exodus, is intimately intertwined with the river and so this idea that he would be represented as a serpent or a dragon or a snake or a crocodile some kind of a reptile that lives in the bottom of the river and that there's this spiritual relationship if you will between pharaoh and the river goes all the way back to the exodus because you remember what was the first miracle that god brought the nile river turned to blood And what that means is symbolically the Nile is the source of life for Egypt. And what he did is turned it into death. And you remember that as part of that all of the fish in the river died and they stank. So you have here Pharaoh being represented as this dragon that lives in the Nile and you got all these fish sticking to his scales when he gets pulled up and thrown into the middle of the desert. This is, again, very much reminiscent of what happened in the Exodus. Verse 6. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord. Well, what was one of the big purposes of the plagues on Egypt during the Exodus? So that they will know that I am the Lord. The lesson must not have stuck. Because you have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel. When they grasp you with the hand... You broke and tore all their shoulders. And when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins to shake. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring a sword upon you and will cut you off from man and beast. And the land of Egypt shall be a desolation and a waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Egypt is a staff made out of reed. So it looks sturdy and strong, nice and long and straight. But when you put your weight on it, it crumbles out from under you. And what it's saying here is not only that, Israel put their weight on you and when it crumbled, they pulled the muscles in their shoulders and in their backs. And when you lean on something and you're expecting it to hold you up and it crumbles out from under you, you're trying to catch yourself or you fall down and you pull all sorts of muscles. That's the metaphor he's using here. Because you said, the Nile is mine and I made it, therefore, behold, I am against you and against your streams. And I will make the land of Egypt an utter waste and desolation, from Migdal to Syene, as far as the border of Cush. No foot of man shall pass through it, and no foot of beast shall pass through it. It shall be uninhabited forty years. And I will make the land of Egypt a desolation in the midst of desolated countries. And her cities shall be a desolation forty years among cities that are laid waste. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them through the countries. Migdal is a city in the Delta and Syene is also called Aswan okay and that's down at the cataract of the Nile. So when he's saying Migdal to Aswan or Migdal to Syene what he's saying is all of Egypt because there ain't no side to side it's all just up and down and he says further that he will throw them into exile. Now as far as the commentaries I have read and what I know, which is precious little more, Egypt didn't get sanded off like Israel did. You know, we have historical record both in the Bible and the secular record of Israel being completely sanded off. Such a record does not exist anywhere except here in Scripture, and here it's only in prophecy. Babylon did conquer Egypt and One of the things you might infer is Babylon may have treated the Egyptians much as they treated the Israelis. So there may have been an exile, but there isn't any secular record of a dispersion like you get with Israel. doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just didn't make the front page. Verse 13. For thus says the Lord God, at the end of 40 years I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered, And I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros. Pathros is in the southern part of Egypt on the Nile, which is where legendarily the Egyptian people had their origins. I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros, the land of their origin, and there they shall be a lowly kingdom. It shall be the most lowly of the kingdoms and never again exalt itself above the nations. And I will make them so small that they will never again rule over the nations. And they shall never again be the reliance of the house of Israel, recalling their iniquity, when they turn to them for aid. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So what he's saying is after this period of exile, you're going to come back into your land, but you are never going to be a world power again. And they aren't. Israel is in trouble for relying on Egypt. And Egypt is in trouble for not keeping their promises. So... When you say that you are going to support Israel, best do so. And that's a general (laughs) lesson throughout all history. 17. In the 29th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder was rubbed bare. Yet neither he nor his army got anything from Tyre to pay for the labor that he had performed against her. Therefore thus says the Lord God behold I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and he will carry off its wealth and despoil it and plunder it and it shall be the wages for his army I have given him the land of Egypt as his payment for which he labored because they worked for me declares the Lord God. As we remember earlier on Nebuchadnezzar comes out of Babylon and he goes against Tyre he destroys all of the infrastructure on the shore, but he does not take the city itself. The commentary that I read says that Tyre did eventually surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, but they are surmising, since it was a seagoing nation, that they took most of the wealth out of there by ship. As they saw, the inevitable was happening. You had ships leaving Tyre and moving the wealth somewhere else. The upshot of it is Nebuchadnezzar had a problem because he has an army that he has to pay. And they have besieged Tyre and they and they besieged it for several years. I mean this is not just sort of a Sunday afternoon stroll through the Mediterranean. So what Nebuchadnezzar does when he gets disappointed at Tyre is he turns south and he goes after Egypt. And he will pay off his army from the Egyptians. 21 On that day I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel, and I will open your lips among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So again, we're talking about restoration of Israel. 30. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God. Wail, alas for the day, for the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword will come upon Egypt, and anguish shall be in Cush. When the slain fall in Egypt, and their wealth is carried away, and her foundations are torn down, Cush, and Put, and Lud and all of Arabia and Libya, and the people of the land that is in league, shall fall with them by the sword. There is some question about what we're talking about here with the day of the Lord. Certainly you can make a case that we're talking in times. You can also make a case that there was a day of doom for these countries that happened in the past, which it did, and that that's what's being talked about here in prophecy by Ezekiel. I don't know which one it is. It can be either way. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, Those who support Egypt shall fall, and her proud might shall come down. From Migdal to Syene, and again, that's from the delta down to Aswan, they shall fall within her by the sword, declares the Lord God. And they shall be desolated in the midst of desolated countries, and their cities shall be in the midst of cities that are laid waste. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have set fire to Egypt, and all her helpers are broken." On that day, messengers shall go out from me in ships to terrify the unsuspecting people of Cush, and anguish shall come upon them in the day of Egypt's doom, for behold, it comes. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to the wealth of Egypt by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, now notice again, we're now back to Nebuchadnezzar again. So in that day, day of the Lord kind of thing, We had Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning, and we have now Nebuchadnezzar again, and that stuff is in the middle. Hence, you could look at it being simply all part of one prophecy. I will put an end to the wealth of Egypt by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He and his people with him, the most ruthless of nations, shall be brought in to destroy the land, and they shall draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. And I will dry up the Nile, and will sell the land into the hand of evildoers. I will bring desolation upon the land and everything in it by the hand of foreigners. I am the Lord. I have spoken. The only place I see drying up the Nile is here in this prophecy. I don't have any exterior knowledge of such an event having happened. Doesn't mean it didn't. It just means I don't know about it. Thus says the Lord, I will destroy the idols and put an end to the images in Memphis. There shall no longer be a prince from the land of Egypt, so I will put fear in the land of Egypt. What are the images in Memphis? There are obelisks all over the place. There was considerable looting by the French and the British when they conquered Egypt, and that's how they stocked their museum, and lots and lots of that. But when they built the High Aswan Dam, they flooded what's called the Valley of the Kings, and they had to go through and remove all the Cecil B. to Mill stuff with the big statues and all that kind of stuff. All that had to be removed. And I don't remember where it is, whether it was at Memphis or at Thebes. I think it was one of the two. Verse 14, I will make Pathros a desolation. I will set fire to Zoan, and I will execute judgment on Thebes. And I will pour out my wrath on Pelusium, the stronghold of Egypt. Pelusium is a fortress city in the delta and cut off the multitude of Thebes. And I will set fire to Egypt. Pelusium shall be in great agony. Thebes shall be breached, and Memphis shall face enemies by day. The young men of On and Pi Beseth shall fall by the sword, and the woman shall go into captivity. At Tehophanes this day shall be dark, when I break there the yoke bars of Egypt. And her proud might shall come to an end in her. She shall be covered by a cloud, and her daughters shall go into captivity. Thus I will execute judgment on Egypt. Then they will know that I am the Lord. These are all major cities up and down the Nile. Memphis and Thebes are both major cities. Pelusium is, according to my commentary, a, a fortress city in the delta that guards the northern invasion route into Egypt. Uh, which is pretty much the only invasion route into Egypt, unless you're coming up from Cush, where we heard on before. Joseph marries Potiphar's daughter, the priest of On. So all of these are a big deal. Verse 20. In the eleventh year, in the first month, on the seventh day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and behold, it has not been bound up to heal it by binding with a bandage, so that it may become strong to wield the sword. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and I will break his arms, both the strong arm and the one that was broken, and I will make the sword fall from his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the countries, and I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. But I will break the arms of Pharaoh, and he will groan before him like a man mortally wounded. I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, but the arms of Pharaoh shall fall. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. When I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he stretches it out against the land of Egypt, and I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries, then they shall know that I am the Lord. What he's saying here, obviously, is that the victory that is going to be gained over Egypt by Babylon is from God. The reason that Babylon is going to prevail is because Egypt has been disarmed, no pun intended, by God. Nebuchadnezzar is working some seven or 800 ground miles from where he lives. This is not just a little skirmish across the border you know, where you do a little raid into the next country across the border and you come back. This is a major expedition. For him to then go that distance and then prevail against Egypt, who is a major regional power, indicates that God is involved in the process. And, of course, God says he is. 31. In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are like you in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon. Just to keep the players straight. Assyria is the nation that sanded off the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria was then conquered by Babylon. So they are a once great nation that is no more. So now what he's doing is he is comparing Egypt to Assyria. Whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches and forest shade, and of towering height, its top among the clouds. The waters nourished it. The deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the face of its plantings, sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field. So it towered high above all the trees of the field. Its boughs grew large and its branches long from abundant water in its shoots. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. It was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it, nor the fir trees equal its boughs. Neither were the plane trees like its branches, no tree in the garden of God was its equal in beauty. I made it beautiful in the mass of its branches, and all the trees of Eden envied it. They were in the garden of God. Now remember we had the previous section where God was talking to the king of Tyre, and he's looking at the king of Tyre, who was a real earthly king, and all of a sudden he's starting to look past him and through him, and he starts talking about you were in the garden of God, you walked among the fiery stones, you were the perfection of beauty, on and on and on. And so it was very obvious that he was no longer talking to the king of Tyre, he was talking to Satan, the cherub. This is somewhat reminiscent of the same thing. Not nearly as graphic and not nearly as obvious, but clearly these kings regard themselves as gods and Clearly, God is saying there is behind these great earthly powers a great spiritual power. Verse 10. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because it towered high and set its top among the clouds, and its heart was proud of its height, I will give it to the hand of the mighty one of the nations. He shall surely deal with it as its wickedness deserves. I have cast it out. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about Assyria. 12. Foreigners, the most ruthless of nations, have cut it down and left it. On the mountains and in the valleys its branches have fallen, and its boughs have been broken in all the ravines of the land, and all the peoples of the earth have gone away from its shadow and left it. On its fallen trunk dwell all the birds of the heavens, and on its branches are all the beasts of the field. All this is in order that no trees by the waters may grow to towering height or set their tops among the clouds and that no trees that brink water may reach up to them in height for they are all given over to death to the world below among the children of man and those who go down to the pit. So what he's done is obviously built up Assyria much as he built up the king of Tyre and he says that at the end of it all You go down to the pit. And your tree has been cut down. It has fallen. You've got birds of the air sitting on its trunk that's now horizontal. And you've got beasts of the field among its branches, which are now scattered over the valleys. Verse 15. Thus says the Lord God, On the day the cedar went down to Sheol, I caused mourning. I closed the deep over it and restrained its rivers, and many waters were stopped. I clothed Lebanon in gloom for it, and all the trees of the field fainted because of it. I made the nations quake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to Sheol with those who go down to the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water, were comforted in the world below. They all went down to Sheol with it, to those who are slain by the sword, Yes, those who were its arms, who lived under its shadow among the nations. He's mixing metaphors back and forth. He's talking trees and about going down to Sheol. And of course, the trees that he's talking about are nations that are under the protection and give loyalty to Assyria. In other words, Assyria was an empire. It wasn't just a country. Now, we're going to see this same metaphor shift in the next chapter. And as you're seeing trees now go down to shale, you're going to see people going down to shale. and what I'm going to suggest you do is that you compare those two because I think he's talking about the same thing verse 18 whom are you thus like in glory and greatness among the trees of Eden you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the world below you shall lie among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword this is Pharaoh and all his multitude declares the Lord God So what he's done in this chapter is this whole thing has been talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been the target of the conversation. And he has gone back and he has brought up Assyria who was for a time the mightiest of the nations in the region. And he builds them up and declares their glory and and so forth. And he says at the end of that I took them down. And just like I took them down, I'm about to take you down. 32. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh king of Egypt and say to him, You consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are a dragon in the seas. You burst forth in your rivers, trouble the waters with your feet and foul their rivers. Thus says the Lord God, I will throw my net over you with a host of many peoples, and they will haul you up in my dragnet, and I will cast you on the ground. On the open field I will fling you and will cause the birds of the heavens to settle on you, and I will gorge the beasts of the whole earth with you. So now we're back to the serpent metaphor again. Remember, that's what we led off with, is him being a serpent in the river. We're back to that same metaphor. Remember the first time he said he would draw him out with hooks in his jaw. Now what he's saying is, I will cast a net over you. And the net that he's going to cast is going to be foreign armies. Verse 5, I will strew your flesh upon the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. I will drench the land, even the mountains, with your flowing blood and the ravines will be full of you. I will blot you out. I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven I will make dark over you and put darkness in your land, declares the Lord God. Does anybody hearken back to the plagues? You had three days of darkness. You also had all of the water in the land turned to blood. And you could even carry it further. Remember when we had the frogs come out of the river? And they all died in their stank all over every place the whole place was full of rotten frogs verse 9 I will trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries that you have not known remember when he said when he destroyed Assyria that it troubled many nations So he's carrying the parallel with what he did with Assyria here 10 I will make many peoples appalled at you, and the hair of their kings shall bristle with horror because of you when I brandish my sword before them. They shall tremble every moment, every one, for his own life in the day of your downfall. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. I will cause your multitude to fall by the swords of the mighty ones, all of them most ruthless of nations. They shall bring bring to ruin the pride of Egypt and all its multitude shall perish. I will destroy all its beasts from beside many waters, and no foot of man shall trouble them any more, nor shall the hooves of beasts trouble them. And again, what will happen during the plague? You had a plague on the beasts while the cattle died? Then I will make their waters clear and cause their rivers to run like oil, declares the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt desolate, and when the land is desolate of all that fills it, When I strike down all who dwell in it, then they will know that I am the Lord. This is a lamentation that shall be chanted. The daughters of the nations shall chant it over Egypt, over all her multitude, shall they chant it, declares the Lord God. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and send them down. Her and the daughters of majestic nations to the world below, those who have gone down to the pit. Remember we talked about the tree going down to the pit. Now we're going to talk about people going down to the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down and be laid to rest with the uncircumcised. And again, remember what was said over Assyria. They shall fall amid those who are slain by the sword. Egypt is delivered to the sword, drag her away and all her multitudes, the mighty chiefs, shall speak of them with their helpers out of the midst of shale They have come down, they lie still, the uncircumcised slain by the sword. Assyria is there, and all her company, its graves all around it, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, whose graves are set in the uttermost parts of the pit, and her company is all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who spread terror in the land of the living. So again, he's talking about Assyria. Remember how glowingly he was speaking of Assyria when he was comparing her to a cedar tree. Well, now we're looking at her in the pit and we're seeing what she actually is. 24. Elam. Elam became part of Persia. Elam is there. And all her multitude around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who went down uncircumcised into the world below who spread their terror in the land of the living. And they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They have made her a bed among the slain with all her multitude, her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. For terror of them was spread in the land of the living, and they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They are placed among the slain. Meshech, Tubal, is there with all her multitude. Her graves all around it all of them uncircumcised slain by the sword for they spread their terror in the land of the living and they do not lie with the mighty this is different now isn't it what you had are all these mighty nations laying down and now we have Mesac Tubal who does not lay with the mighty they do not lay with the mighty the fallen among the uncircumcised who went down to Sheol with their weapons of war whose swords were laid under their heads and whose iniquities are upon their bones. For the terror of the mighty men was in the land of the living. But as for you, you shall be broken and lie among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword. One thing should have stood out to you over and over again as I read these. What was it? Uncircumcised. You would get the impression from this that circumcision was somehow... Important, 29, Edom was there, her kings and all her princes, who for all their might were laid with those who were killed by the sword. They lie with the uncircumcised with those who go down to the pit. Whoops, you have sons of Isaac who are being mixed in with the uncircumcised. Edom is circumcised. So it isn't whether or not you got circumcised that determines whether you are in this condition. The term uncircumcised is used as an insult by Hebrews to non-Hebrews. Remember what does David say when he goes up against Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised dog to stand against the armies of Israel? Okay? Sort of like your mama wears combat boots. It's an insult, but it is not the thing that has determined The final resting place of these nations, because you have Edom there, who is circumcised. The princes of the north are there, all of them, and all the Sidonians, who have gone down in shame with the slain. For all the terror that they caused by their might, they lie uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword, and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. When Pharaoh sees them, he will be comforted. For all his multitude... Pharaoh and all his army, slain by the sword, declares the Lord God. For I spread terror in the land of the living, and he shall be laid to rest among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword. Pharaoh and all his multitude declares the Lord God. In other words, Pharaoh is going to be among his own kind. And notice, by the way, who has been sowing terror among the nations. Each one of these empires, with the exception of Edom, It talks about them sowing terror, if you will. For terror of them was spread in the land of the living. That's sort of a formula. And it applies to everyone except Edom. And when Pharaoh sees them, he will be comforted for all his multitude. Pharaoh and all his army, slain by the sword, declares the Lord God. For I spread terror in the land of the living and he shall be laid to rest among the uncircumcised. So who's spreading terror in this case? God. So what he's saying is Pharaoh is going to go down, but Pharaoh is going to go down by my hand. And yes, I'm going to use Babylon to do it, but it's me that's doing it. And that's what he's said over and over again. And quite frankly, Egypt does not tend to be an imperial power. They tend to be very strong just because of their economy, but they don't tend to be like the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans that go off and conquer vast swaths of land. They periodically meddle in the affairs of Israel and Lebanon, but not a lot more than that. But God is clearly chapped with Pharaoh, and the reason for that, as he says, is because they didn't keep their word to Israel, and Israel relied on them and and they were not reliable. Okay, so next time we will start coming up now. I mean, this has all been kind of a downer. So now we're going to switch and look forward and move into the end times.